welcome to the 290th episode of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we'll be talking about it. Today, we are recording on June 26th, 2022. My name is Brad Galloway. I am the editor of GameCritics.com, and 50% of this here show with me is the man who's not Carlos Rodella, John Rogers! Hello, I am not. I'm not Carlos Rodella. I'm a whole different human. Yeah, totally different. It's so weird. I, you know, there's like almost no crossover whatsoever. John, thank you so much for coming to the show. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. It's great to be on the show. I'm a, I listen every week and I really enjoy you and Carlos, your chat, so it's fun to be a part of it. Oh, I love starting with Love Fest because we listen to your show every week and we love it. It's just love one big hug across the water here. Absolutely. And I mean, it's been a pleasure to have both you and Carlos on the show at various points to talk about games. So it's it's fun to be uh, on your side of the Atlantic this time. Excellent. Excellent. I am, I'm so thrilled to have you. So uh, people listening, you're probably wondering, hey, what happened to Carlos? That's that darn syphilis again. It just acts up. Uh, we thought he had it beat. And he just relapsed real hard. So, unfortunately, he's back on intravenous antibiotics. I think he's even got, like, some oxygen going. No, no, no. Not at all. Not at all. He's fine. Uh, he just had a scheduling conflict, and he was not able to be here this week. And, of course, the show must go on. So, I cast my feelers out into the wide, uh, wide world web. No, the world wide web. And, luckily, uh, John responded to the call. Now, for those of you who don't know... I mean, I'm sure you probably do, but if you don't know, John is the host of the Gaming in the Wild podcast, which is one of my personal favorite podcasts. Plug, plug, plug. Please give him a listen. Uh, love his show. Love what he does. And that is why we're having him back here today. So, John, again, thank you so much for being here. And I know that you are taking time out of a very precious UK holiday, so I know that your time is valuable. Thank you so much. No problem at all. It's an absolute pleasure. All right. Well, I say let's just get this thing started. We'll get you back to vacay ASAP. Uh, as usual, um, we're going to start off with housekeeping. Now, Carlos and I do share a virtual living space, but uh, this is a different person, different situation. Rather than the big house split down the middle with duct tape, I think it's probably me and John sharing a virtual hostel with somewhere, I don't know, beautiful foresty outside, maybe a lake outside. And we're kind of just splitting this down the middle. I don't have any duct tape on me. I guess maybe we could just use like some uh, dirty clothing or maybe just a piece of string or something. But it's still divided just the same. John, are you ready to do some housekeeping with me? Absolutely. That sounds like it's in the, the vacation spirit to me. We're in a, oh. yeah, it's a holiday <laughs> cabin. Absolutely. Holiday. Oh, I love that holiday cabin. Even better. <laughs> I love it. All right. Since you are the guest, sir, we are going to start with you. As you know, I'm sure you know this and everybody else listening does. Housekeeping is just bits and bobs, whatever you want to talk about, game related or not. So let's start off with you. What's on your side of the house this week, sir? Well, I know that you guys normally start off with a little bit of kind of current affairs of gaming and that sort of thing. And um, like it's often newsy or just thoughts about stuff. Um, and I always have like a little running list of notes that of things that I'm thinking of talking about and never get to. And this is like the perfect opportunity. And one of them, one of these is it's. I actually feel like I'm filling in for Carlos a little bit with this in vibe as well. It's the kind of it's maybe a Carlos esque item because <laughs> I know that you're you're the big Switch player in this podcast. I am. True. And and I'm a huge Switch player too. I love my Switch. I'm um, a big. Um, I got a Switch OLED. I play it handheld all the time. I love it. It's my my go to indie machine. But um, I was playing Bayonetta for the first time recently, the, the classic on wow, Switch. Wow, on the Switch? Oh, yeah. wow. That's crazy. So, I've I mean, I've played Bayonetta, of course, but I mean, how does that even work? Does it work well on the Switch? I mean, it's the only way that I've ever played it. So, I mean, I've just been having a great time with it. It's nice on that bright screen. It kind of it feels good. 
Um, but I was thinking, like, this is kind of a spectacle kind of game. It's got some big set pieces, you know. It's like, um, it's a game that is, like, writ large. Those huge bosses and those big environments and stuff. Um, so I, I, I haven't done this for a while, but I popped it in docked and turned on the TV. It's a, a nice 4K screen. Um, and I was squinting at the TV thinking, why does this look so weird? And realized that um, Bayonetta on Switch runs at, at 720p. And I'm not, like, a big kind of tech snob fidelity guy but i have gotten used to things looking pretty nice you know and i was yeah, thinking, wow yeah. this this <laughs> this is like out the bottom of of, of where i normally kind of i don't know it just looks weird you can see the pixels on bayonetta and she's like a 3d creation this doesn't feel good and it, it, it kind of got me thinking a little bit right because bayonetta 3 is going to be i believe a switch exclusive is that right and that sounds correct to me yes yeah, and um, and obviously Breath of the Wild 2 is coming. And I absolutely love the Switch, right? It's like a, a perfect little indie handheld console. Absolutely love it. Play it all the time. Take it on travels. Um, but it got me thinking that, like, if Bayonetta 1 is running at that and Bayonetta 3 is a Switch exclusive, does that mean... Because I guess this means Switch is a handheld-only console for me now, pretty much. Um, does that mean that Bayonetta 3 is probably going to be running at the same? And it made me think, like... If Breath of the Wild 2 and Bayonetta 3 are running on the, on the little beloved and somewhat aging Switch, it made me think, I wonder if like the current generation of Nintendo um, exclusives and first-party games are going to be like scaled down compared to what they maybe could be. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. You know, that's, I mean, that's a really good point. And I mean, Carlos and I bring this up all the time. It's kind of like a very familiar horse that we like to beat, um, although no actual horses were harmed in the making of this episode. Uh, but it's like, you know, I, I love this. I, I Just like you, I love the Switch. I love playing indies. I love taking it with me. I play it mostly in hand, although I do pop it in a, a dock mode once in a while. But like, I, you know, I don't come to the Switch for those kind of like big show-stopping games. And I mean, I'm hard pressed to think of something that goes bigger and harder than bayonetta right like it's like mm -hmm. sparkles and explosions and hair and she's naked sometimes or spinning and the camera's whirling around i mean that to me screams like high fidelity big screen surround sound um that seems like the best way to do that i'm very surprised that they were going to do like a switch exclusive and i can't help but feel that people are going to be like pretty disappointed because no matter how good it looks the immediate response is going to be well how good would it have been on xbox x how good would it have been on mm -hmm. a ps5 like no matter how good it is it would have been better which is kind of true so it's weird um that they're doing this and i just you know I don't feel the need for the Switch to, to push those kind of games. I know that some people do, and some people really want the, the Switch to to bring big things. I know Carlos really feels like that. It's probably why he doesn't play a Switch very often. But to me, that just doesn't feel like a good match. So unless we're going to start talking about a Switch 2 at some point, I just feel like it's really weird. I mean, it kind of reminds me of what happened with um, the race of Persona, where people were just, like, really unhappy with it. It didn't look that great. And, like, you know, the people wanted better, sharper, brighter, more colorful. And, it, and the Switch just... That's just not what it does, you know? It's like mm -hmm. it's like kind of putting a fish on a bike. I mean, you can, but, like, why? Like, it, it doesn't work, so I don't know. Yeah, it's a funny one because, you know, I'm a huge Switch fan like you are, but it was just literally seeing Bayonetta in all of its kind of grainy 720p, like, crunchy wrongness on my TV. <laughs> it was the first time that I'd actually thought, you know what? I think, like, if Bayonetta 3 and Breath of the Wild 2 are on this machine... They are widescreen games. They're kind of historic. They're like big games, you know. Yeah, but, but, yeah. But, um, and it's the first time that I've thought, you know what? I think that this hardware, like I, I listened to you and Carlos bat this back and forward, and I know it's like a, it's a conversation that you guys have. But I think it was the first time that I came down on the side of thinking, 
they maybe have left this a little too long. And I, I mean, I guess I know there's been pandemic and maybe they plan to do it sooner. But it, it kind of breaks my heart just a tiny bit to think that a game like Breath of the Wild 2, which is a Nintendo, you know, platform exclusive first party game, might be in, in the rooms where they're making it, in the buildings where they're making it, just being kind of held back a little. You know what I mean? That that yeah. huge game that we're all looking forward to. It was the first time that, that it was just a moment where I thought, yeah, you know what? I think it's time. It's time for that, that for that next for that next Nintendo consoles just to keep up a little and, and make the games that we that are coming into the games we want to see. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I love the Switch for what it does. I love the zone that it's in because to me, it kind of takes a space that's apart from the other uh, Xbox and PlayStation consoles. And for me, that's fine. Uh, but I do agree that it's probably time for a big bump. I mean, if they're going to do these games, and it seems like they are, then you might as well do them well. I mean, why set yourself up for all the criticism that's sure to come? And why why not make these games look and feel as good as they can? I mean, if you're going to, then do it right. Like, don't do it halfway. And I I kind of agree with you. If you're going to do Breath of the Wild or something big, explosions, Bayonetta, whatever, it may be time. I mean, otherwise, then don't, right? Like, do something small. Do something that fits the hardware and then be happy with that. But mm -hmm. yeah, so I, I kind of agree. I don't really want to buy another console right now. But if there was a Switch 2, I mean, I definitely would be up for it. I've loved, I've loved mine. I've gotten a lot of use out of it. Um, I've got like a ridiculous amount of games, so I definitely get play out of it, but it may mm -hmm. be time. It may be time. Yeah, I mean, I use mine a lot. I packed it full of games when I was coming on this trip I'm on now, and I've been playing, you know, a bit of a few of the games that we're going to talk about today. They're all on Switch, and they're all like super contemporary, cutting-edge indie games, and it's perfect for that still. Yeah. Um, it was just yeah. that Bayonetta moment where I thought, hang on a second, they're kind of hamstringing themselves a little here on um, on keeping their exclusives at the cutting edge, you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure, for sure. But the only other well, piece of housekeeping I got um, is it's another kind of developmenty one, um, and um, I think I've heard you two talk about this a little bit. It was the Matrix Unreal Engine um, demo, the tech demo that came out. Oh yeah, Carlos brought it up. I didn't check it out because I don't really touch. Um, I don't touch a lot of demos, and I definitely don't touch a lot of stuff on PC. But Carlos did bring it to the show, uh, so yeah, I'd be very curious to hear your thoughts on it. What do you think? Well, this was another interesting one. It was um, it's on PlayStation Five, and it's it's a weird blend of cinema game and uh, sort of tech demo, really. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I was thinking of the other thing you're talking about. It was like the narrative short of it. It wasn't like a demo demo. It was like kind of a was it like a little um, bite sized experience kind of a thing? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, okay. I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, I did not get around to that, but I I, I am with you, sir. Right, so this one was like, it starts off with Keanu standing in a white room, Matrix style, and he's kind of talking to camera and uh, giving a little bit of tech demo chat. Um, and then he morphs into his younger self and you flip into a Matrixy game. Uh, very cool looking, driving through the streets of a city, um, shooting at agents, and it's all, you know, super, super, almost photorealistic. You know, games keep edging towards photorealism and it's very impressive. Um, and I think I think it was intended to be like a show-stopping demo for what Unreal Engine 5 can do. It's not like a full game by any means. Um, but but after that initial action section, um, it goes into an open world part. Have you have you played this one? Did you get around to it? No, I never did. But Carlos did tell me about it. Yeah, but no, not myself. Right. So the second part of it is that you're just set loose in a large city, um, and it runs through a couple of of the things that Unreal Engine can do. So it shows you, for example, like traffic moving around the city and it will isolate all of the cars in different colors. It's showing off its AI system and then it isolates many, many, many pedestrians running around in a city. So you can see all of the pedestrians and it's showing off all of this next level, this is where games are going type of stuff. 
Um, and you can run around the city and it looks fantastic. It's got like um, as close to photorealistic graphics as I think that I've seen and it's a very impressive thing. Um, but as I was walking around in this city, this is another sort of starts off good and then goes slightly bad one to begin with. But um, I noticed that a couple of the pedestrians were kind of starting to pile up, you know, the way that you sometimes see in an open world game where one will walk into a wall and become a little confused. Yes. And then another one will sort of bump into its back and they'll and um, cars kind of do the same. Like if one car stops because you've blocked a road, then they all just sort of stop. Um, and this is stuff that we see in games all the time. I mean, this happened to me in the in the game Lake. If you block the street, then every car in the game will just form <laughs> like one long polite traffic line. Oh yeah, um, I had that exact experience, and it was very unintentional. I just I got sloppy when I was delivering my mail. I parked in this the street thinking I'm going to pop in for a minute, and I come back, and like the entire town is piled up behind me. It was ridiculous. Absolutely, um, and it was funny to see because in in this um in this tech demo, it's kind of the future of open worlds, the future of game making, and it, it got me thinking that like the the reflections on the road look better than ever. The glass looks beautiful. The sky and the clouds look amazing. Like it's it's a very cool looking city environment. But the fact that we it had the same bugs and quirks that you see in every open world game, it it was kind of an interesting moment for me too. It made me think. They've put a lot of effort into making this city look more like a city than any other video game city that we've ever seen before. Um, but at the same time, um, the map is still dodgy and the people are still piling up on sidewalks and the cars are still not that smart. And they were kind of trumpeting it as like Unreal Engine 5, the future of video game AI. You know, and it made me wonder, like, um, have the open world format sort of plateaued a little bit in terms of it's looking better and better and better but it the gameplay itself like if, if um, i'm a big fan of open world games and things like cyberpunk as carlos is as well i feel like i am really filling in for carlos today you know slightly ragging on switch even though you're doing an admirable <laughs> job i must say <laughs> i'm really really feeling carlos carlos is like shouting yeah wherever he is now from the clinic um but it made me think a little bit about open world design and the fact that even if it get it looks better and better and better, does it play better? Does it feel more real? Can you open the doors in every building? Can you, you know, can you bump into someone and have it feel like a real life interaction? You know, and the answer seems to be that Unreal Five isn't gonna fix that in any way. So it was just an interesting moment that all of the attention seems to be going into the visual, and perhaps not into the the things that are really the seams that we see in those games. You know. Yeah, it's the same old song and dance over and over and over. I mean, it's kind of been the same with every generation. Um, and having been around for a million years, like you just see the cycles repeat where the technology gets better, everybody's focuses on the graphics, everybody gets really impressed by the graphics, but we don't really see that many advancements. I mean, I, I'm i not a graphics whore by any stretch of the imagination. I like games to look good, uh, but I prefer like aesthetics more than hyper-fidelity, right? Like I'll take a 720 game that's really visually interesting in terms of design rather than some 4K showpiece where it's just like blah, whatever, but it's just all shiny. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and that's just me. Um, not everybody's like that, and that's fine. But, you know, I would much rather see people take that extra horsepower and instead of just like jacking up the polygon count and jacking up all the peas, uh, you know, do something else. Like let's do, like you said, like improved AI or improved dialogue uh, choices or having, you know, emotional reactions from characters or just anything that like enhances any other aspect of gameplay other than the visuals, because I feel like people get so tied up in the visuals and yet we don't push like how we play games or what we play that much forward. 
And then, you know, it's just the same kind of experiences, but shinier. And to me, that's really boring. Um, I really would like to see, um, instead of all the power of the new technology getting sunk into the visuals, I mean, they look really good already. I think games look great already. Like, I, I feel like I am very content with how games look right now. So I would much rather see um, a, a conversation tree where the AI takes into account, like, the position of my character or uh, the nuance of a word that I said. And, like, you know, like like way more branches or something. Maybe there's, like, an AI routine that can, they can play that dialogue out. Or maybe some kind of, uh, you know, improved physics gameplay where... It's something really new, and there's something that that can only be done in a video game. Not that it just looks better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel absolutely the same. I mean, I guess it's you know it's going to look good on trailers, and it's going to play well in media, and it's going to make gamers excited to see these shiny things. But it does make you wonder, like, if that wasn't the priority, like, what could be done? What if they were to bring in, like, you know, like an expert biologist or something, and say, how does the the life of a city unfold and, and can, can the, that life be built in digital form you know rather than being like uh, do these clouds look better reflected on concrete and that kind of thing it would yeah. be so interesting there's so many interesting things that could be done i mean real talk john real talk i'm just going to put it out here and if people want to send me hate mail that's fine but honestly i don't need to see any more pores on the faces of my characters <laughs> i don't need more hair i don't need individual hairs like i think slap an eyebrow on there and we're good to go that's all i need i would much rather see other advancements i'm not i'm not looking at my character's faces with a microscope we don't need to get uh that much fidelity on there that's just my personal take anybody want to come at me come at me um okay let's move on to my section of the house real quick and then we'll get to the actual uh portion of the show that we're here to talk about um first off i want to give a shout out to andy robertson of taming gaming um he's a good guy he has a strong focus on uh, parental issues, gaming with children. Um, you know, he's got this great database of like all these different in- uh, bits of information about games, like what classification they are, what warnings they have and stuff. Great, great stuff. I love Andy. He's a wonderful guy. And he, uh, he always retweets us and gives us support online. So I wanted to give a shout out to Andy Robertson of Taming Gaming. Please check him out on Twitter. Check out his website. It's wonderful stuff. Have you ever been there, uh, John, by any chance? I have not, but I will do now. Yep. All right. Excellent. Uh, Also, um, this was the week, uh, I guess maybe last week, it's the ID at Xbox Demo Fest was happening. Um, It kind of popped up with very little fanfare. And in fact, I wouldn't even have known about it, except that I follow a pretty fair number of indie developers on Twitter. And some of them were tweeting that their game was up for uh, their demo was up on Xbox. And I'm like, oh, is this thing happening again? I love this thing. But I feel like Xbox never really hypes it. Like I just I just never hear about it. And I just don't know how much more into gaming news you could be than me, because I like I read it all day, every day. And if I didn't hear about it, how many other people didn't hear about it either? So uh, anyway, I did hear about it. Luckily, jumped on at the demo fest. I believe it's still going on as of right now, I think. And at the time, when I checked in a couple of days ago, there were no less than 40 indie game demos that were up um we were going to go through them i think we're going to put a pin in that until next week but there were a couple uh, before we get into the, the highlights john did you know that the xbox demo fest was going on right now i did not and i'm getting a flashback to you talking about it in this exact way this time last year on the podcast because yep. it comes at the same time doesn't it it's that summer time i mean i've been playing a few on the steam next fest which mm-hmm, seemed mm-hmm. To, to get quite a big bump on social media um, and a few bits and pieces on other systems, but the Xbox um, iteration of that has, has passed me by completely. 
Yeah, you know, Steam, boy, when the demo fest hits Steam, my inbox is, I mean, literally like hundreds of emails telling me it's going on. Uh, I think for the Xbox demo fest, ultimately, I think I got two emails and luckily I read those ones. But yeah, I mean, I just feel like with all the work and effort that goes into it and all the eyeballs that could be directed their way, they should just do a little bit more uh, to hype it. Um, so anyway, it exists. It's still there. And by the time you're hearing this on the podcast, I'm guessing they probably will add to it. Last year, they started with 40. And I think by the time that they ended, I think they ended up with like uh, maybe 60 or 80, something like that. So it's kind of probably going to grow. Um, for me, the two high points, uh, just real quickly, number one was Lost Ruins. Carlos brought this to the show a couple episodes ago, and I didn't realize we were going to have a demo, so I did play the demo. It's a 2D side-scrolling. It's kind of like a Metroidvania, but it's also kind of like a survival game, and it's got these really cute 2D um, characters. Artwork is really adorable, um, and I was just really liking the slower pace of it. It's not um, a reflex-based, combo-based hack-and-slash. It's very slow and methodical. You want to take your strikes very carefully. You want to conserve your life and your energy um, I think I may end up buying this one because it just really was is hitting all the right notes for me. Have you uh, checked out Lost Ruins, John? I know it released a couple weeks ago. I have not, but that sounds pretty nice. What's the um, what's the the view that you're looking at this game? Is it like an isometric or a to- a top down? Is a two D side view, so side kind of like view. a Metroid okay. kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a good one. I think I'm gonna pop for that one. The other one that stood out to me was called Despot's Game. Uh, I've heard about this one. I believe we reviewed it on PC last year. It's kind of like a roguelike, and you know I'm a big sucker for roguelikes. I play all the roguelikes, but you you have these tiny little, like it seems like they're like six pixels high, little human people. They're just like little pink stick figures, and you're in this underground dungeon, and you take a group of them, and you just kind of like do these battles. They auto fight, so you kind of position them in each room and then let it go. They fight to the best of their ability, and as you go, you earn upgrades, you earn different equipment. So you start off with like a little pink human guy. But you can give them like a football helmet or like some guns or a knife or a sword or something. And so you gradually like increase your guys as you go through. But of course, it's a roguelike. You're probably going to die a lot and uh, get sent back to the beginning. It seemed really neat. And but again, you know, full disclosure, I'm a sucker for a good roguelike. So I definitely am going to check that one out as well. Uh, But anyway, heads up, folks. The ID at Xbox Demo Fest is happening right now. There's 38 other games last I checked that I didn't talk about here. And there's probably more by this point so i invite you all to support your indie developers and give it a look-see all right john i think we've probably uh cleaned uh this uh, vacay cabin as good as we're going to are you ready to get into the meat of the show absolutely that was a good like sitting on the porch talking about the state of switch and uh unreal and uh xbox fest that was a good little vacay housekeeping session i feel like i feel like i agree i feel like we're good i feel like we can move on and feel like we did justice to that. All right, let's get into the main content of the show, episode 290. John, we're going to start with you. You are bringing Silt to the show. Now, Carlos played the demo of this a while ago, and I actually just completed this maybe two weeks ago. Uh, I talked about it briefly, but I would love to talk about it uh, with you in more depth. But before we get to that, tell us what Silt is and what you think of it, sir. Okay, it's interesting that you finished this one then. I'm, I'm as curious, I'm very curious to hear what you thought of it. Because this is one that I saw on um, one of these games uh, reveal shows a while back, and it caught my eye. as a great visual style. If you've seen the game Limbo, um, the first Play Dead title, uh, or the one that brought them to prominence, you'll know what it looks like. It's monochrome, it's moody, it has like a paper art style. Um, and it has a similar atmosphere too. It looks kind of gothic. It's a grayscale world, but it's different to Limbo in that this time you are underwater. You play a kind of a diver creature with flippers, and you are swimming through the tunnels of a creepy 
underwater world. It's pretty linear, at least it is as far as I got in it. And along the way, there are different hostile creatures that will come for you. There are environmental puzzles that you have to do. Um, it has a very strong look and a very strong aesthetic, this kind of paper arty, highly stylized look, very much like an underwater limbo. And so I was really looking forward to this one. Um, I got a code for it, so thanks to the PR for pro providing me a code to review it. It's the first game by this indie studio. Um, but this one didn't um, sit that well with me. Um, I, I was so excited for it and so looking forward to it. I love a game with a lot of atmosphere and a strong visual style. I love diving games. I love the, the sounds that you get, those bubbling underwater sounds. And I love a game with a heavy atmosphere and great music. Um, but this one is a little bit of a puzzle-based game. Um, there will be logic puzzles along the way or puzzles that you have to do. For example, you pull a vine and some rocks fall down, it kills the fish, and then you can get into the next cave, that kind of thing. Um, and pretty much from the beginning, I was I was kind of struggling with these puzzles. Um, um, I don't know how you feel about puzzle games generally. One of you and Carlos likes puzzles and one of you don't, isn't it? Which one? Which way is it? I think I like them slightly more than Carlos does, but I am very finicky. Sometimes I think they're just great when my brain meshes with the kind of puzzles I'm being asked to do. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, Dread Rock Dungeon we talked about last week, which is phenomenal. One of the best games I've played all year. Love that. And that's 100% a puzzle game. But there are definitely kinds of puzzles where my brain just doesn't get on the same wavelength as the developer. And those ones I kicked to the curb pretty quickly. And I feel like for Silt, not to give it away, but I think I, I didn't mesh with this one too well. Well, it's funny that you say that because that's exactly what I got here in my notes to say it is that sometimes in a puzzle game when you are flowing well with it and it feels like you're connecting the the dots, you're seeing it form in front of you, you feel like you get breakthroughs. And I've had games like that, like um, I really enjoyed Manifold Garden for the most part. I really felt like I was meshing well with the puzzles there. Um, recently I played The Pedestrian where you're running through all of these graphic road signs and something about the logic, it seemed to present challenge and to present complexity, but in a way that I could tinker with it and not get frustrated and then find the solution and feel great. Um, and this game was like the opposite. It was like I was trying to read a language that I only knew a couple of words of and trying to fill in a lot of blanks and, and not really getting the full meaning that was intended. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Yes. Yes. I get you 100%. Right, and I mean, I, I actually bailed on this one pretty quickly, despite being so excited about it. So I'm, I'm interested that you got all the way to the end. Like, how did it progress? I mean, not well. It, it, was, it was very <laughs> difficult. Um, I mean, like you, I was really taken with the visual style. I think I saw this on the Nintendo Direct, uh, the most recent one, and I'm like, wow, that looks great. I just love the creepy diver vibe. It had kind of a Cthulhu vibe, and I'm a sucker for anything Lovecraft, and it just seemed like really neat. Um, I, I didn't expect it to be as much of a puzzle game as it is. I thought there would be more just like kind of action or maybe exploration or something. I was kind of surprised to find that it was as heavy, heavily puzzle based as it is. And I got to say, I just I just don't really care for the kind of puzzles that are here. I think um, possessing fish is basically what you do for like 90 percent of the game, which mm -hmm. I didn't expect from the trailer. And it's just it's OK. Like, I wish there was more to it. I wish there were different kinds of puzzles. I wish I wish that wasn't your main verb for most of gameplay. Um, and I find that the puzzles in this game, they kind of split between just understanding what you needed to do. Um, that was OK for the most part. But sometimes it was also about performance. And I got really frustrated in a few places where I thought I had the right idea. 
I tried to execute and I just wasn't doing it. And I'm like, well, maybe I'm doing the wrong thing. Maybe I'm not even trying the right thing. And then come to find out, oh, I just wasn't doing, I was doing the right thing, but I wasn't doing it like properly. Like I wasn't pushing the button fast enough or I wasn't like, you know, there was some technique to it that I didn't quite get. This is a dialogue free game. And so a lot of it depends on you just observing the environment. And I really struggle with games that don't have any dialogue or text because I feel like communicating non-verbally is a real skill. It is a very um, difficult skill to master, and I feel very few people do it well. So whenever a developer tries to go the non-verbal route, I always kind of like, oh boy, here we go. Let's see how this goes. Because I just don't think that it's, it's that as easy as people think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, people don't think the same ways. Symbols don't mean the same things to people. Um, uh, motions, like non-verbal cues body language it doesn't always mean the same thing to everybody and you got to be really really explicitly clear and i don't think this game clears that bar and full disclosure um i got about three quarters of the way through after you know kind of gritting my teeth a little bit and i got so stuck i had to actually email pr and i'm like look i'd like to finish your game i can't i need your help i went back and forth like four or five emails with pr trying to figure out what the deal was and it was just a matter of i wasn't pushing a button fast enough something as simple as that which should have been communicated clearly and if it was, I would have had no problem when I got through that. But because of just like that lack of communication and lack of us sharing the same brainwaves, I got like brick wall stuck. So I ended up finishing it, but I can't say that I enjoyed it. And when I got to the end, I can't say I was satisfied. I kind of, it wasn't a hate play, but I was like, no, I need to finish this because I really want to see it through just so I can kind of like get the measure of it. And then I did. And then, yeah, here we are. Yeah, I feel the same way about it. I'm, I didn't. I mean, I got stuck way before you from the sounds of it, so you did manage to push through further than I got. Um, I will say that um, I do love the visual style of it, and I think that the the sound was done very well. So there is some promise here, you know, and if it is their first game, then then let's hope that the next one they kind of iron out some of those kinks, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think for a first effort, I mean, like real talk to it, I've played a thousand games that are way worse than this game. So I think for a first effort, they did really well. I think the vibe and the tone and the theming was all kind of on point. I like I like what they were doing. That's really kind of what pushed me through. I really wanted to see what was going to happen. Um, but yeah, just like work on the puzzles, you know, maybe put some text in, like, you know, just workshop that a little bit more. But I, they're definitely on the right track. I would mm-hmm. I would absolutely want to see what they do next. Mm-hmm. All right. That is Silt. Uh, I played it on the Switch. You played it on the Switch as well, I assume? I did, yeah. All right, great. Let me take over for a minute here. Got a couple of ones. I'm going to talk about, <laughs> it's interesting. I don't plan these things out, but they just kind of like these weird circumstances and weird coincidences happen. I'm talking about two Keeper games right now. The first one is Square Keeper. This is a very tiny, tiny little puzzle game uh, where you play a little dude in a dungeon. Each dungeon is the size of one Switch screen or smaller. Most of the time, much smaller than that. Uh, and so you have a very limited number of actions. Each each puzzle has like cards. Um, it's not a deck builder or anything like that. It's just like they just give you these, these cards that represent moves. So like one move will be walk forward one square. One move will be walk forward two squares. One move will be swing your sword. And you just get like a certain number. Like you don't get as many as you want. You can't buy anymore. Like the developers have very clear solutions in mind and they want you to figure out how to get through it. So you'll start at a level. You'll be a little guy, he's like 10 pixels high, with a little sword, and the goal of each thing is to get to, like, kill the monsters and get to the door before you run out of moves. So it's really straightforward, you can pick it up pretty quickly, but it's pretty it's pretty devious. Um, in addition to the moves, you gotta kind of think laterally, because sometimes, what usually ends up happening for me is I'll kill the guys, but then I'll run out of moves and I can't get to the door, and if you don't get to the door, you die. So you gotta, like, you gotta, like, take into account, what do I need to do... How many moves do I have? And I must be at position X 
by the time I'm done with that. So there's kind of like a multi-level thinking that goes on to it. Um, it's difficult for me. Like, I don't know that I'm necessarily the brain to figure all this out, but I have gotten a fair uh, ways into it. A complicating factor is that when you attack with your sword, it moves you one square forward. So that's kind of a way to like, quote unquote, cheat, which is not really cheating because I'm sure the developers want you to do it. But, you know, if you need one extra movement, you can be like, OK, well, maybe I can swing my sword at nothing here and that'll move me forward one square, swing a couple more times and then I'll get to the door or like move, move, sword, sword, move, sword or, you know, like any combination of those moves um, to get you to the end. It's very small. It's very compact. I mean, I think it's well done if you are in the mood for a bite sized puzzler like this. Uh, move, the, the moves are simple. The rules are simple. Um, you know, but, but you do have to think, right. You got to be very logical when you approach this. Otherwise, um, frustration does set in pretty quickly. And I don't believe there's any kind of a hint system, which is kind of a bummer. Um, but so far I think it's pretty cool if you're in the mood, John, what do you think? Is this for you? Um, well, I, I had a, look, a quick look at some screenshots while you were talking and the, the game that it reminds me most of is something like, I mean, it's, it's very different to this, but something like Advance Wars, you know, where you have like um, a finite amount of resources and you'll pretty much know by about halfway through any given level if you're going to make it or not, right? Yeah, like you, exactly. You know, if, you, if the tide is in your direction and you do have to kind of replay levels to, to, to figure out the, the logic puzzle, basically, of how can I use what I have to get to the end, right? Exactly so. Like it's very, that is along the same lines, but on a much, much smaller scale. Like in Advance Wars, you'll have 10, 15, 20 units on a big map this is like you've got one dude and your map is like six squares by six squares or something. But yeah, essentially the same concept, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I kind of like those ones. I like those ones where you have to... It's fun when you go the obvious way the first time and then the game pushes you back a little bit and then you kind of have to you know, scratch your head a little bit and then come at it in a different direction. Does it kind of... Does it change enough? change it up enough for that to kind of stay fun throughout? I mean, I feel like it kind of stays in one lane. Um, I'm not all the way through it, so there may be more mm -hmm. elements that pop up, but, you know, mm -hmm. different monsters show up, and, of course, their behavior changes how you approach things. You start off with, like, really basic slimes, and then, like, I think there's spiders next or something. Mm -hmm. And so, like, you know, that's the added complication, um, and I, I, there may be more as you get further in. But I feel like I feel like I play maybe two, three levels a night, and then I'm good. Like, I put it down. It's not yeah. like a binge-worthy kind of game, but, like, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there, and I've I've been enjoying it. Yeah, sounds fun. All right, right on. That is Square Keeper. The other Keeper game is Graveyard Keeper. Uh, I started this game a while ago. Maybe, I mean, right when it dropped, I was very excited for this because at the time, people were playing Stardew Valley. And, I mean, full disclosure, I have not played Stardew Valley. I think I've bought it maybe four times, and I've actually never started it. But my son was playing it, and my wife was playing it, and I feel like just by being in the room, I kind of absorbed a lot of that Stardew Valley-ness. Um, so I wanted to play something like that, but I wanted something just just not that. And that was Graveyard Keeper. Same basic idea, but instead you're dealing with corpses, you're dealing with more of a story, you're dealing with um, gothic theming and stuff like this. Um, and I got into it a while ago, but I never finished. And for whatever reason, I got the itch to come back to it. So before I keep running my mouth, John, have you ever played Graveyard Keeper? Do you Are you familiar with it? I have not. I have not. I've played a little bit of Stardew, but I've not played Graveyard Keeper. All right. So basically you play a guy who gets sucked into another dimension. Um, I'm sure that we're going to come back to that story. But once you're there in the other dimension, it's basically kind of like a medieval setting. You are the graveyard keeper. You are tasked with burying people, um, doing autopsies. Uh, you can remove pieces from them and, and repurpose them to sell them or create food from them or tools or whatever. You also do a lot of like resource management. So you go out in the woods and collect stone and wood. You build up your farm, you build up the graveyard area, 
Um, you there's a number of villagers and there's a nearby town, so you do quests for them where it's like, oh, collect a certain number of things for me. But there's also like this other layer to it. There's like an underground part to it. There's also like a lot of um, it feels like a Swiss watch to me in some ways because there's like a, a time cycle. Some people are only available at certain times. Um, some events can only be done at certain times. And so you have to really like learn the lay of the land. What's going on? How do I interact with something? Where do I need to be and when? At the same time, corpses keep coming. So you have to like manage the corpses. And eventually, um, I'm not this far yet, but eventually you can reanimate some of the corpses and become, they can become zombies. And they they will do like some of your menial tasks. So like once you advance, if you get tired of collecting wood, you can be like, okay, fine, I'm going to make a zombie. Zombie, you are the wood collecting zombie. Go do that. And you're undead and you can just do that forever. So go do that. I'm going to make a, a stone collecting zombie. You go do that. And then that frees me up to go do other tasks that are more, you know, RPG like and interesting. Um, I love the graphics. The pixel graphics is kind of an overhead 2D perspective. Uh, I think it's really well done. I think the theming is really well done. It's really creepy. I didn't get, I didn't finish it last time because there is a point at which you have to kind of just get over like the resource hump. You have to have a certain number of things, expand your skill tree a little bit. And really like it, it demands a lot of focus. Like, because if you lose track of the story or you lose track of who's where and when, you kind of hit a little stopping point. And at that time, my brain was just too full. But I really, really wanted to come back to it. I really like this game. And I really feel like this game is my shit. I just needed to like have the mental availability for it. So I feel like I'm going to give it another good push and really get through. There's four DLCs for it. I believe the game is basically as complete as it's going to get. So you got main campaign, four DLCs. Uh, it's had a number of patches. It runs great on the Switch. looks great on the Switch. I love it on the Switch. Um, so if anybody out there is listening and hasn't given it a shot, I think it's really great if you want Stardew Valley plus corpses. And so far, it was a thumbs up before. It's still a thumbs up, and I'm looking forward to exploring more. So what do you think, John? You got to go uh, cut up some corpses, make some corpse burgers, and reanimate some zombies? I do like this kind of game, you know. It's nice to have a couple... It's nice to have a little... Um, a couple of games that you have on the back burner that don't require your full attention. You know what I mean? Yeah. I had um, Stardew is that kind of game, isn't it? And I guess it's like the Animal Crossings of this world and the Cozy Groves of this world, where you can check in and play a little and uh, advance your cause and feel like you understand what's happening, not have to give entirely full focus to it, but just enjoy it. And it sounds like both of these games tick that box for you. Is that is that does that sound right? Yeah, yeah, it is. I, I definitely want to p push through, and um, I, I love just kind of just jumping in for a little bit. You collect some stone, collect some wood, cut up a couple cadavers, and then you're like, okay, cool. Like, I feel like I did a thing. And there are some story elements that I'll have to get to, and at some point I'll have to get a cup of coffee and just really knock those out. But you can definitely just, like, you know, just visit your farm and just visit the graveyard. How's it going in here? Pick some weeds, and then, you know, then you go to bed. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Well, I enjoy Graveyard Keeper a lot. I know it's kind of fallen out of the limelight recently because it's it's a couple years old by now. But if anybody out there is looking for a Stardew like with a slightly higher creep factor, give that one a go. And I love it on the Switch. I think it's a perfect Switch game. So, all right, John, back to you for Neon White. Um, I've seen some videos. I don't know a lot about it. It seems pretty stylized. I like the character art, but I am kind of allergic to first person games and I'm kind of allergic to fast games like this. And that seems exactly what it is. Am I wrong? You are right. It's very fast. It's first person. Um, I saw this one. Um, I think it was on a Nintendo Direct, actually, wasn't it? Because it's on Switch and PC. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, it's by Ben Esposito, who did Donut County. Um, and it's such an interesting U-turn from Donut County. Um, that's what caught my attention, first of all. I thought, okay, wow, this guy is really running in the opposite direction from the last game that he made. And it, se it seemed interesting to do that kind of that kind of 180, you know. 
Um, but it's a super fast game. It's first person. It has a bit of a, a Mirror's Edge vibe to it. It has a bit of a parkour vibe to it. Um, you play through levels in sets of 10. Um, and each course is quite short and involves you speed running. It's a speed running game. So mm. um, it also has some card elements to it. So it's combat, it's parkour, and it's speed running. It has a very, very fast base speed. So you're always running at top speed. It does require some super sharp reactions. Um, and it's not its not naturally my kind of game, but I was drawn to it. It's an Annapurna game. That's another t- uh, tick in the right column for me, you know. Um, I will tend to play everything that they'll put out. Um, it also has kind of an interesting approach to combat and movement and how it intertwines them. Like you will start with a basic slash, um, but if you pick up a gun card, then you'll be able to have three shots, um, which helps obviously take out demons as you're running past them. You have to kill all the demons in the level for the exit to open. But if you discard your weapon, like when it's got one shot left in it, then the gun will give you a double jump. So if you you can jump, fire two shots, discard the gun, and then get a double jump that will push you up higher. So you have to perform these kind of John Wickish high-speed maneuvers. Um, and then you'll get other weapons that do other things, like the machine gun. You have more ammo. Um, and when you let go of that one, you can either throw it as a bomb, and then the card is gone. You've used up that card. So the cards have dual uses. And so there's a little bit of strategy to this one as well. Um, a little bit like that game you were talking about earlier where you have to uh, rethink. I think it was called Square Keeper, right? Where Square you have Keeper, to, yeah. You rethink your approach to each level based on how you uh, succeeded or failed at it. It's a little bit like that in Neon White. Like you think, maybe I shouldn't have used my bomb back at the start. I should have used my sword for that guy. And that would have left me with a bomb that I could have used to boost myself up to this next level. Um, so there's some strategy and resource management involved in it. Let me ask you, John, real quickly. I don't mean to interrupt you here, but is this like, uh, is every level specifically set? So, for example, is there always going to be a bomb card at the start? Like, is the developer crafting these levels or is it like kind of randomized? Um, they are handmade levels. Yeah, they are. They're, they're always the same. It doesn't have randomized elements to gotcha. it. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Um, and I'm still in an early part of the game. I played through the kind of the tutorial island part of it, which was a set of 10 levels. Um, And there are other aspects to it as well. So sometimes between two levels, you will get a little bit of dialogue. You'll meet someone else. You are Neon White. That's the name of your character. Neons are a race of um, beings that have uh, passed on, sinners that have passed on to heaven. And you are Neon White. And you will meet Neon Green. You'll meet Neon Yellow. And they all have masks on like you do. And it seems that you're engaged in some kind of strange competition like... I haven't quite gotten to the heart of the story yet. It's still early days, but it's a little bit like, you know, something something like The Running Man or something like that, where you're competing or Hunger games maybe. And um, everyone seems to have lost their memory. And it's all quite, it's a strange story told in an anime kind of style. Um, the characters talk in very kind of like Ninja Turtles. They're, they're kind of very heightened, kind of shouty, Saturday morning cartoony voices, you know. So it's it's a strange mishmash. The aesthetic reminds me of Paradise Killer, if you've played that one. Oh, yes, yes. Uh-huh. So it's got that kind of mixture of Miami uh, palm trees and blue skies and seascapes and white architecture mixed with strange demon stuff. Um, so there's quite a lot going on with this one, but I think it, it whether or not people like it is going to live or die a little bit on how much they like that parkour gameplay 
Um, but one thing that I've heard people enjoying is that it's networked so that you can see how well your friends did on the level that you just completed. Mm. Um, and you can get a gold, a silver, or a bronze based on how fast you completed it. So if you are the kind of person that likes to uh, beat your best time and to see if you can get that gold, um, then this is a game that is definitely going to hook you in that respect, especially if you see that your friend got the gold and you didn't. You can replay levels as much as you want to try and get the gold and to find the hidden item in every level and that kind of thing. Um, but for me, I think I have not quite found my rhythm with it as yet. Um, my reactions are a little bit lacking. It's very, very, very snappy. It's very, very, very fast-paced. Um, and I feel like it's perhaps built for a player with a more... Um, just a better reaction time than I've got, you know. I kind of I, I smell the flowers when I'm playing in these games. I kind of I like to take a little look around and get my bearings and kind of absorb the experience. And it's a very rapid fire arcade experience. But I think for certain players, they're really gonna they're gonna fall for this one. I can see you know anyone that likes a bit of Mirror's Edge, anyone that likes a bit of speed running or competitive gaming, that asynchronous competitive gaming where you're trying to beat other people whilst not in multiplayer. I can see that this is just going to get a cult audience. You know, it's a guarantee for that, I think. Wow. I could not be more out. I'm trying <laughs> this is like the antithesis of everything that I am. I don't like, I generally don't like first person games. I generally don't like super fast Twitch games. I'm not a big fan of parkour. I don't like uh, uh, leaderboards. I don't like speed running. It was as if Ben Esposito was like, let's look at what Brad likes, and I'm going to do the complete opposite of that. So good job, Ben. You fucking nailed that, buddy. Uh, I'm going to just cross this one right off my list, which sucks because I do like the visuals. I think it looks cool. Every time I look at pictures of it, I'm like, oh, those aesthetics speak to me. Like That's kind of my wavelength, but literally everything you said is giving me hives right now, and I'm just not even going to worry about it. So thank you for allowing me to cross this off my list. I really appreciate that, John. Well, you know what? I've got a feeling that as much as I'm curious about this game, and I want to persist with it for as long as I can, I mean, this has just been the first 10 levels that I've played, and I've got just a feeling in the back of my head that it's going to get to a point where I'm going to hit a level that just needs a little bit more than I have in the tank, you know, where I'm going to have to do... 10 double jumps in a row and then throw down a bomb, use the blast of the bomb to get up to the next level and save enough bullets to get the perfect precision run, you know. And that's yeah. probably going to be that's probably going to be the point where I close the game and don't open it again. Um <laughs> but we will see. I'm I'm going to, you know, keep my head keep my chin up and uh keep playing the white and just uh, see if I can get through it and see how far I get. Well, you keep me posted. Um I'm not even going to start, but I'm very curious to see how far you make it and see if uh, Mr. Esposito manages to keep it on the reasonable side. This it strikes me as kind of a game where you've got to really focus and you really kind of pour yourself into it. And I just, I just don't do that with these kind of games anymore. Maybe when I was 20 or something, but I am not that man anymore. So that's fine. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people eat it up. It looks really cool. I mean, watching videos of it and stuff is very impressive, but uh, not for me. All right, moving on. I will tell you something that is for me. Uh, sorcery, Steve Jackson's Sorcery. Um, this is from Inkle. Uh, people who make a lot of really cool games. I think they just did this one. You're going to have to help me out, John. It was the one where you are a lady doing a murder mystery on a boat. It was just recently, like last this year. This is Heaven's Vault, which I absolutely loved. And as soon as yeah. you said Inkle there and Steve Jackson, you've 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 got my attention with this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love Inkle and I love Steve Jackson. This game is fucking cool. I mean, apparently Inkle made this a while ago. I don't know if it was their first game, but I mean, I guess they made it before I was even aware of them as a developer. And I didn't know this even 
existed until recently. PR reached out and sent me a code for this, so thank you very much. Uh, this is basically a big-ass choose-your-own-adventure. Um, if people are familiar with those books, I know they're not as popular as they used to be. Uh, but basically, it's an RPG. You can create a character, and then you start off in this land, and there's four chunks to this game. It's like it's the complete package. It's everything that's ever been made for this game in one package. So there's four whole adventures here. Uh, but it's like you read some text, and it's very well-written text. It's all fantasy stuff. Like It's like, you know, you start off with this village, and the people here look hungry, and you've got a couple gold coins in your pocket. What do you want to do? Do you keep the gold? Do you give it to them? Do you try to find them food? Whatever. Like They give you a bunch of choices. You make your choice. You move on. Um, and... There's a whole giant world, so you can like travel. It's not only just turning pages of story, which is which is good, but also, do you go north? Do you go east? Do you go west? Do you explore the caves? Do you go to the fields? Do you go to the mountains? What do you want to do? Do you talk to these villagers? Do you avoid the villagers? Tons of choices, like way, way more choices than you would normally get in a choose-your-own-adventure. And on top of that, uh, there's a combat system, which I think is really interesting. Um, I think it needs a little bit more tutorialization, but I did figure it out. Basically, um, you're square off against a person or a monster or whatever, and you want to guess how much stamina they're putting into their strike, and you want to put just a little bit more into yours. Uh, because if you put more stamina than they do, you win that particular um, encounter, but you don't want to put in too much. Because if you put in too much, then it's wasteful and it makes you tired for the rest of your journey. So you're doing a little bit of energy management of... Um, hunger and also energy for fighting. So you're, you're, you're doing that. You want to be conservative, conservative, boy, I can't, English is real tough. You guys conservating Conser is the word you're conservating. For. Maybe you want to, <laughs> you want to just hang on as much energy as possible is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, but then on top of that, there's also a magic system, which is really interesting. And it's probably why it's called sorcery kind of a giveaway. It's right there in the title. Basically you have a book of spells and these spells also cost stamina. In addition, the same stamina as the combat, uh, and it's, it depends a lot on where you are, what situation you're in and what items you have. So like most choose your own adventures, you might have an option to pick up an item. Maybe you go one way, you find a thing, maybe you go the other way, you find a different thing. And there's all sorts of spells. I think there's like 40, 60 different spells. One spell is like a lightning bolt. One spell is like to fall slower. If you fall down a, a cliff or something, one is to disguise yourself. There's a whole bunch of different spells. And what you do is you, you get into a situation. If you have enough stamina and you have the right item, you can cast a spell. Uh, but it's kind of open-ended because you might not have the right thing because you didn't go the right way. So maybe that spell is not available to you. Or if you got lucky, then you can have more choices. So it's not even just like a choose A or B. It's like choose A or B when you're in this one place. Then it's like you've got four different places to go. When you go there, you've got like four different actions to do. You can fight. You can do a magic spell. You can talk. You can explore. You can just move on. It's just really, really rich. Um, I feel like the systems are all really um, cool. They come together really well. I feel like it's a good depth where I'm not drowning in detail, I'm not drowning in minutia, but also I feel like there's enough there to really keep me interested. Like I feel like there's I feel like there's always something else I can do, which is a good feeling when you're doing a game like this. Like you don't want to feel like you're just being led down the nose down a linear path, uh, which it's not. I mean, I feel like there's a million ways you can go, but it's also not so overwhelming that I get paralysis of like I don't know what to do or where to go. Like I feel like there's always it's a real good balance. Like it feels really good to play. The spells I think works out really well. Um, your item management, I feel like is just right. Like it's not too much. It's not too little. I think the combat is really interesting. This is just like, a, it's like a win all the way around. Like there's nothing bad about it at all. If you like these text heavy narrative games, I think it's really, really great. Um, the only one caveat I will say is I, I played a pre-release version of this again, PR gave me a code and there was a very slight bug, um, that was hitting the magic system. Um, uh, they were already working on it by the time I talked to them about it. And so I ex fully expected to be patched out by the time this game 
is available. Um, and I think it just came out a couple days ago. It's probably good to go by now, but that was my only caveat. And that was just like a bug. It wasn't even a design issue. It wasn't even a problem. Like it was just like a little glitch, but this game, if you like narrative, if you like RPG, you like reading, you like choose your own adventure. Like this game is, is the shit. It's fucking awesome. Right. I've been very impressed with Inkle generally, actually I've played, um, overboard. That, that... Overboard. That's what it was. Overboard. Uh, yeah, that, that, that kind of, okay. So yeah, that's an Inkle game. I, I believe that Heaven's Vault is the game they did before that one. Yep. 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 Um, and a bit of 80 days as well. Um, and I think that like, from what you're saying, like Inkle are one to watch, aren't they? They're, they're producing really high quality, really unusual, really well-crafted, quite ingenious and juicy, engaging games with, um, a really high high standard of design and a really high standard of um of writing pretty consistently now right oh absolutely like i feel like every game they've done has been really high quality and they really engage like like you're thinking they engage your brain i mean i they don't make twitch games so far i mean maybe they could who knows right but like everything they've done has been thinking reading um you know deducing str- strategy like it's it's you know, that's not for everybody. I mean, maybe the person who plays Neon White is not going to like this because it's very, you know, like kind of the opposite of it. Mm-hmm. But if you're in the mood for something like this, this is like this is like one of the best one of these that I've played in quite some time. I love this style of game. And I just I love everything about this one. I think it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that if, if there's anyone listening to this that hasn't played any Inkle games, then I mean, I played Heaven's Vault at the start of this year and absolutely loved it. It's, um, it's about un- untangling an ancient language and it gives you a feeling of exploring a strange galaxy and discovery and it's about linguistics really and then overboard is just a super tight murder mystery where you um you relive the same day over and over again and kind of try and get away with murder like you are you, it's a it's a you done it game where you're you're trying to get away with it by not leaving your earring around or anything um overboard is really really quick to play i think it was intended as a mobile game and they made it during pandemic so i think it was meant to be it was made in a fast time and it's made to be played in a pretty quickly as well but for, for people that haven't heard of Inkle, there's there's some really rich stuff there and this sounds like another one i can't wait for this one yeah this is great i definitely recommend it i mean i think that if people like the kind of games that i like you will very much want to sink your teeth into this and it's huge too like you know i mean it's a quick play it, it it's not it doesn't ever get bogged down in anything you can just kind of go through it and iterate quickly and but it's like it's just juicy enough to keep you going, but you don't ever get lost in it. And I will say one thing I neglected to mention, like any good choose your own adventure, if you've ever read one of those, you know, you get to a tough choice and you leave your finger on the page. And if you make a wrong choice, you're like, yeah, fuck it. I'm going to go back and make a different choice. Right there. They know this. They know this. And they totally play to that strength because at any point in the game, if you fuck up or you make a choice, or you want to try something different. You can rewind literally. Um, all the way to the start if you want to like let's say that you're like 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 75 moves in you've made 75 choices you've fought a bunch of battles you've collected stuff and you're like oh oh i need whatever item that was like uh, a million pages ago you can just like literally rewind all the way back it'll undo everything you've done go all the way back to the place where you want to go do the thing you want to do and then just like work your way back i appreciate that you don't need to start a new game this is not a roguelike in any way you can just learn the systems learn what's happening in each encounter plot your way through, keep your finger on that page, go back, make a better choice. I love, I love that thing. It's, it's so user friendly and is such a nod towards quality of life. I, it's fucking brilliant. So Mm -hmm. I love it. Nothing bad to say about sorcery. Everybody who likes narrative games, you got to go buy it right now. Literally right now, just go do it. 
Sold. I'm buying that one. Sold. All right. So one more sale for Inkle. John, <laughs> back to you. Uh, Chorus, uh, or I guess Corvus, as some people say, which is weird. I think it's Chorus. C-H-O. I mean, they spell with a V. C-H-O-R-V-S, which is weird because that's not how letters and phonetics work. Uh, but this is like a space adventure game. Um, I played a little bit of this a while ago. Uh, really liked it, but I am curious to hear what you think of this. Are you playing it on uh, Game Pass by any chance? Yes, I am playing it on the Xbox Series S. All right, wonderful. Fill us in, sir. What what is Chorus, and what do you think of it? Well, first of all, um, that name it it is called Chorus, the word that we that we know, but for some reason the logo. Um, has a stylized R with the stem removed and a V instead of a U, right? So I thought this was called Chorves. And for the longest time, I was like, what's a chorve? What is a chorve? I'm, I don't know. I don't know what a chorve is. And someone that I know, I know thought it was called Chop Versus, and they thought it was going to be like a multiplayer kung fu game because they had misread the R. Oh, my so, goodness. So that logo font is, is really something. Font um, matters, people. It really matters. Don't get too Don't get too kooky with your font. Right, so Chorves. It's um, it's a game that appealed to me pretty much straight away. I love um, a sprawling sci-fi game. I love um, fighter games. I love flying around in space. I love that part of No Man's Sky where you get into your ship and you fly between planets. Um, I love the original Star Fox and uh, Starlink, the game that came out later. Anything like that has my attention. This is one of those games. It's a, a, a vehicle uh, game so it's a game in which you never get out of the spacecraft which surprised me a little bit um, because a lot of the pre-release trailers for this one you see a lot of the protagonist yes. who is uh, someone called Nara who has like face tattoos and she's kind of cool looking um, and so I was thinking this one might have more of an RPG element to it you know and space flight might be just be one part of it um, so I was kind of surprised and a little bit disappointed the first time that I docked my ship at a space station to realize that you just get like um like a hangar screen where you can replace the guns on your ship or like install upgrades, buy upgrades, that kind of thing. So that was a bit of a surprise to me. But I think once I'd gotten over that 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 urge to get out of my ship and run around in this world as Nara, um, I started to really sink into it. Um, I found that this one it's a map markery game, and when people say that, they are usually about to diss the game for being too Ubisoft or whatever. Um, but for me, this game, like you you can fly around in an open galaxy. You can see your next story marker on the map. You can see some question marks dotted around, maybe in an asteroid field to your left or um, at a moon over to your right or, you know, some kind of decrepit looking space station. You can explore them if you want to um, or you can just plow through the story. But I actually got into a real groove with this one. So... I fell into a rhythm of just like enjoying flying through this beautiful looking broken space scape with just huge chunks of rock floating around. If you can see it, you can fly around it. Um, it's three 360 degree travel. It's like, um, you know, Star Fox in space kind of feel. Um, and finding what you find at those question marks is that sometimes there are side quests. So you might find someone like stranded who needs safe passage back to a space station. You just take them back have some conversation along the way and get some credits. Or maybe you find a relic, something old, something interesting, something that's going to, maybe you find some technology that's going to buff up your ship. Or maybe you find some pirates that you're going to come into combat with. 
Um, and that's the other main part of the game, is the dogfighting section of the game. It has really arcadey dogfighting. It's in no way like a sim. You know, you're not sitting in the cockpit with a seeing the joystick and um it has it doesn't have reversed controls, so it feels very naturalistic. You push up, you go up, you push down, you go down. You can see little icons dotted around the screen that tell you where your enemies are in proximity and direction to you, so you can turn around and get on their tail pretty quickly. So it's got a very arcadey dogfighting section that I really like. It's got this open galaxy map exploration that I also really liked. Um, so I, I, I kind of in, enjoyed this one, um, but at the same time, there's a couple of downsides to it. Um, I would say that the story is bad. <laughs> it's um, <laughs> Nara has escaped from a cult um, and she's... Going going against the cult, basically. There's a cult a cult that's trying to unify everyone, a totalitarian cult like the Empire from Star Wars or, you know, that cult from Guardians of the Galaxy, that very traditional story. Um, and she's a renegade pilot who's going to go against the prophet. Um, and the game takes itself very seriously as a story game, I think. There's lots of meaningful whispering going on in Nara's mind. And there's lots of kind of ideas floating around about... I think it thinks it's a game that's talking about politics, maybe. But if, I feel like it really falls flat at that. Um, sometimes it takes itself so seriously that I just found myself laughing at the dialogue because it was just silly, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And and the voice acting, I thought, was, was pretty bad. Um, generally, um, people didn't sound like lost space scavengers. They sounded like EastEnders extras or something <laughs> so you're like flying through space and this guy's like all right mate yeah my ship's broken down it's just not what you're quite expi- expecting in a game like this um so I, I skimmed through the story and just thought of it as a you know a way to propel the game forward there are five different solar systems to explore they look different there's a couple of different fairly standard quests that you'll do quest types so once i had scaled down my expectations my initial expectations of it being a true space epic and uh rejigged it so that I'm just thinking of it as a fun game to zone out to fly around space, shoot some bad guys and upgrade my ship. I actually had a really good time with it, um, but it definitely took a bit of a, you know, a scaling down for me to just get into the zone with this one. What was your take on it? I mean, largely the same. I really like um, the physics of the, of the, of the ship. And like you said, it's not a sim in any way. And I think that's to its credit. I, I don't get a lot of value from like, realistic physics and kind of struggling with that you know as many people say you know like star wars type battles in space are physically impossible and blah 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 whatever but i don't care about that i want fun and i feel like this game really does um target the fun of flying a little space fighter with little powers and abilities and stuff i think so that's great i feel like they 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 kept their eye on the main point of this game and this game is all about like you said being in your ship if being in the ship wasn't fun you wouldn't have much of a game so i feel i'm glad that they they had the proper focus and that flying the ship feels as good as it does. I really liked it a lot, honestly. Um, again, I didn't care for the story like you. Uh, I think it was kind of poorly told. I was a little confused at the beginning. I think it could have been told a little bit better. I also think um, I, I would have taken just a different angle or whatever. It just didn't it didn't grab me. But but the gameplay itself was so fun. I do much like you want to just push through it just for the sake of playing the game, flying the ship around, shooting guys, doing quests in space. I think it's really it's really well done. We haven't gotten a good space game in quite a while. I mean, not, at least not to my knowledge on console. Um, and I, I kind of enjoyed this genre. It was more prevalent back in the early days. Uh, it kind of went away for a while. And it's good to see it come back. I think this one is definitely worth playing. I think it looks great. I think it's fun to play. 
Um, and it's easy to kind of hand wave away the story. And because, I mean, I'm real talk. We hand wave away story for a lot of games these days, as long as it's fun to play. So mm-hmm. I think it's good. I, I meant to to finish it, but I got uh, tied up with other review responsibilities. Life took a turn, et cetera, et cetera. But I still have it installed on my Xbox. I do want to come back to it. I think it's I think it's worth playing if you like space games, for sure. Yeah, it's just some good bubblegum fun. I think I was playing, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour each night and just doing a couple of missions. Um, and I felt like I'd, I'd played something that was just enjoyable, visually enjoyable, great to fly around in space. It's a good a good bubblegum fun space game for people that like that kind of thing. 100%. 100%. Totally agree, for sure. Uh, all right. I'm going to keep up with my theme of uh, playing old stuff. I mean, we do say that in the intro of the show, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove that true. A couple, maybe two years ago or something, was The Outer Worlds came out. Have you played The Outer Worlds, John? Are you familiar with it? Um, funnily enough, I played it for the first time a couple months ago. I've had it sitting in my PS5 forever, and I've been waiting for a next-gen upgrade that I think is maybe never going to come. Um, I read, not, I, I think I googled, you know, and I thought maybe maybe it's coming. I'm going to check on the Outer Worlds. Um, I read an article that said it's never coming, that the company's moved on. So I thought, okay, well, in that case, I'll just play it. So I've played a couple of hours of it. All right, excellent. I don't know if it was one, two years ago when it came out, um, but, you know, I... Although I do not generally care for first-person games, I do kind of like the Fallout style sometimes. And Obsidian, I mean, they're responsible for Fallout New Vegas. I mean, one of my favorite games of all time. And I love Obsidian. I mean, I think they have great writers. uh, And and writing is important to me in games. So I'm I'm definitely in their camp. But when The Outer Worlds first dropped, uh, I just wasn't in the zone for it. Like, I just wasn't in the headspace. I, I, something, you know, my life was really busy. I didn't have time to just, like, sink into it. And so... Uh, I just kind of put it aside and I felt like I would come back to it. Uh, and now is that time. I got the itch. I got the little voice in the back of my head saying now is now is when you need to fire that back up. And I did. And I'm glad I did. This is a first person, basically like a Fallout game, but set in space. Um, you play a person who has been thawed out of a colony ship that got lost in space. And you need to go through a bunch of hoops to like rescue the rest of the people who are frozen there. But it's it's not like a serious game. There's a lot of comedy. There's a lot of wink, wink, nudge, nudge in the writing. Um, a lot of sci-fi stuff happening. But it's first person. You gather a crew. Uh, you do a bunch of various quests. A lot of choices. A lot of exploring um, environments. Uh, a lot of skills and specialization. I mean, it's basically like like Fallout in space, but with much better writing than Bethesda is ever able to do, and just more enjoyable in in general. I also like the scale of it. It's pretty small. And I don't say that as a negative. It's certainly, I mean, it is an open-ish world where you're set loose in these environments and you can wander as much as you want, but they're not huge. I mean, you're not like in the New Vegas wasteland or whatever. I mean, it's not miles and miles of territory. So they're pretty small and pretty contained, which I think absolutely is a good thing because it means that you're not wasting a lot of time. Uh, Most of the content you run into is going to be of value. It's not just like walking for hours to find a couple bottle caps here and there or something. So I like the combat. I mean, it, it's pretty basic, but it gets the job done. I like the characters. The characters I've met so far are, are pretty enjoyable. Uh, I, I think it looks great. I'm playing it on the Xbox X and I think it's just, I don't, there may not be an official upgrade, but it's running on that hardware and it looks really sharp. So I'm really happy with that. And uh, I'm just having a good time. I just wanted to play something that was like kind of fallouty. And I really wanted like the, the ability to, to get with a crew and just enjoy spending time with these people which is absolutely what's happening here. So I was not in the mood for it when it dropped, but I'm definitely in the mood for it now, and it's definitely worth getting around to. Right, and for anyone that wants a Fallout game, it's going to be a while before a new one, right? They just said that they're going to do it after 
what was it, Starfield and after the next yep. Elder Scrolls. So that's what's that going to be like 2030 or something? So <laughs> I think that, this is probably, this is kind of what where it's at for now. Um, yeah, it reminded me a lot of Fallout 2. Um, I think I filled my inventory within about 20 minutes um, and had to yeah. start dropping cartons of milk and ceramic plates. Um, had fun running around, um, trying out different weapons and talking to people. Um, the story structure felt a little similar to me in that you like you meet one person, they send you to the next. Um, it had it had that a full Fallout Four feel um, for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. Like it definitely is in that basket. It's like it just feels like another Fallout game, but you know, but but in space. But otherwise, like anybody who's ever played any of the Bethesda Fallouts, or if you played New Vegas or something, you're going to feel like right at home. I mean, the setting is different, the monsters are different, and it's definitely smaller in scale. Uh, but it's it is it is of that cloth. So anybody who enjoys those, I feel pretty confident is going to enjoy this and i think i'm probably the only person on earth hasn't played it yet everybody i've talked to who likes follow games has already like been through this and rinsed it and all the dlc has been out and everything i think there's two dlcs for it and those been out for a while so uh, i am definitely late to the party on this one but i'm glad i didn't let it slip through the cracks i am definitely enjoying my time with it and i'm gonna go right back to it once we're done with this recording i got one more question for you about this one because you yeah. know um fallout 4 had the I guess like the the base building and the mechs with the things that sort of differentiated it and gave it like a little extra element. Um, I'm still in the very first area of this game, so I haven't got my ship up yet. I'm running around talking to people, looking for a battery, I think, last time I checked. Um, and from what I hear, this one's got like an interesting um, sort of reputation system and, and social system and crew system, did you say? So what is it that's making this one sort of stand out? You know, what's the... Is that is that what's the the uh, the new thing here? I don't know that it's necessarily a new thing. I'm I'm only a little bit ahead of you. I'm still mm -hmm. doing that same area, but there's actually a number of side quests, and so I got kind of wrapped up in doing side quests. And um, I think there's two crew members you can can recruit in the area. Not to give spoilers or anything, but um, I'm just like I'm doing like as much as I can in that area before I move forward. Mm -hmm. And I've only got like one big quest left, like where you finally get your ship off the ground. So I don't know what other systems are going to pop up. But what I just like about it is. It just feels it feels like a known quantity, but it feels like it's very well done. I feel like the combat is very smooth. I feel like the skill system is really well thought out. I feel like um, like how the game works is very clear and easy to understand. Like these these feel like people who have made this game. They know what they're doing and they're doing it in a confident way. And all of their footing has been very sure so far. So I feel like mm -hmm. it's a very easy thing to sink into not that it's necessarily bringing a whole lot to the table or maybe there's some that i haven't gotten to yet but i mean to be perfectly honest i bounced off of fallout 4 pretty hard i didn't like the janky ass base building i didn't like a lot of the stuff that you were doing it just felt like a lot of cruft and a lot of it was not not polished and just kind of difficult to work through so i'm just enjoying that this is a very smooth streamlined easy to approach uh kind of piece of work from people who are good at doing this exact thing so that's really what's drawing me to it i think mm-hmm yeah, and I know that Carlos absolutely loved this one, didn't he? So um, he did. Yeah, I'm looking he did. forward to hearing that you two talk about this one. I think he's going to be overjoyed that you're finally playing this. <laughs> yeah, he's been telling me I should get to it for a while, and I I agreed. I just you know sometimes you just got to be in the mood for something. And when I tried earlier, you know, like if you ever try to force a game where it's maybe not what you're in the mood for, it just doesn't go well. And I knew in my heart of hearts, like I knew these developers, I know the style of game. This is something that I like. I just I just wasn't the customer for that moment so i'm glad i waited i'm glad i get back to it we will definitely talk about it carlos loves this game so i'm sure we'll discuss it many times in the future so mm -hmm. we will see how it goes that is all i have for this show but john i believe you're bringing one more game to the agenda norco which is something i've heard a lot about 
uh, some from you, some from other people. This one's getting a lot of attention this year. Unfortunately, as far as I know, it's only on PC, which is why I haven't cracked into it yet. But everybody who's played it has had nothing but praise. So I am very curious to hear your take on Norco. Yeah, this isn't. Um, this one made a lot of ripples on social media. That's how I heard about it, and people kept talking about Disco Elysium. People kept talking about Kentucky Route Zero. Um, and for people that like those two games specifically, to hear that there might be a new addition to this like very slender sliver of games that, that are concerned with the same kind of things, it was very exciting. So I started this one up with a bit of expectation about it. Um, it's a pixel art game. It's pretty different to both of those two, actually, um, at least in terms of gameplay, but in, in, in terms of spirit and in terms of the perhaps intent of the game, um, I think it, it does have some, you know, it belongs in that company. It's made by Geography of Robots. It's the first game by them. Um, it's a solo dev project for the most part by a guy who goes by Yutz. He also brought on an artist, musician, sound designer, and like a little bit of a, a team to finish it off. Um, interesting thing about the developer, he is from the area of Nor Norco. And, and has a background in doing environmental research in that area. And I didn't I didn't know that Norco was a real place. Like when I saw that word, um, it didn't mean anything to me. Um, I, but, I don't even know what that word is. I thought that was just the title of the, is it a place? I have no, I've never heard that word before. Right, I was gonna ask you if you had actually, because it turns no. out it's a place in the US, in Louisiana. Um, and it, it's an acronym for the New Orleans Refining Company, um, which has been squashed into Norco. Um, they had a refinery um, that took over several towns and just ended up taking over this huge landmass. It's a real place. Um, it pushed a lot of people out, displaced a lot of people. It's pretty controversial industrial development, basically. So it turns out the developer's actually born and raised in the area of Norco. And so the, the story of this game is somewhat, you know, based on their experience. And then they've done research into the area too. So it's just a pretty interesting setup, right? It's interesting when people come from other backgrounds into games no i had no idea whatsoever i mean i'm not familiar with that part of the united states i mean it's a pretty big country and you can live your entire life without ever really experiencing any of the subcultures or the different variations so i don't know anything about that i'd never heard of it i mean i've never even been to louisiana maybe uh maybe Corey motley uh former co-host and sometimes guest would know something about that but i i just thought it was just the name of the game i had no clue mm -hmm. yeah i mean neither until um, i actually did an interview with the the developer of this game because i'm so i was so into this game it really blew me away like spoilers out of the way like i absolutely love this one um i did think after i finished it that this might be something that you would enjoy too but it is yes you're right it's only on pc it's on pc for game pass uh, but i believe it's a devolver one um and devolver games normally end up being ported don't they so i would hope fingers crossed i mean the buzz is so strong i would imagine they probably want to bring it to other consoles right and the story with this one, I mean, where to start with it, really? Okay, so it's a pixel art game. Um, you don't have direct control over any character in this game. It's old-fashioned, point-and-clicky, um, but don't let that ring alarm bells. It's not what you think. <laughs> but you, you'll find yourself looking at a pixel screen. So let's say um, there's a beautiful intro for the game where you, you see pixel landscapes moving before you. You read an intro from the point of view of Kay, the character who is running as far away as she can get from Norco. She's been brought up there um, and she just wants to flee. She doesn't like it there. And so she's running out into the world. And you get a little flavor that this is perhaps a near future US where 
things have continued on a negative trajectory. There's some environmental and political turmoil tearing the country up. But on Kay's journey, she gets a call that her her mama is a uh, is uh, her mother is um terminally ill, so she heads back to her hometown. By the time she gets back, her mother has uh, passed away, and so at the start of the game, you're in the family home. You're looking at Kay's bedroom. It's a pixel art bedroom. You can see a teddy bear on the bed. You can see some clouds outside the window. It's really nicely drawn pixel art. You can pick things up and examine them. You can add them to your inventory. Uh, you have a mobile phone in the top right corner of the screen that you can click on which acts as a UI so you can uh, text people that kind of thing it's like your little control center um, and you have a little mini map at the bottom right that shows you where you can go so from the bedroom you can maybe go to the kitchen from the kitchen you can go to the yard from the yard you can go to the driveway then into the street and maybe you end up in a abandoned mall car park or a store um, and so every time you change location you get a new piece of pixel art they're really nice they've got nice little animations in them like moving water that kind of thing um, and there's people that you can talk to there you can have conversations you can have multi-choice branching conversations it's all quite dreamy in some ways but also quite funny and also quite gritty like you'll meet people that are living pretty hard lives but they will sometimes say pretty ridiculous things um, and so it's got a tone of melancholy to it but it's also got a tone of I don't know how to say it, like playful chaos to the whole thing. Um, and you move through this world, you talk to people, you can solve puzzles, you have to pick up objects like a you know, a card to open a card reader door somewhere else on the map. You'll get an over map, an overworld map eventually, so you can move between different parts of the area of Norco. And the story is that you're trying to find out what your mother was doing that led to her death. So there's a, a mystery to the story. Uh, your brother has also gone missing, so there's a missing person. Uh, element to the story like a mystery element so as you're moving around the map talking to this crazy colorful cast of characters that you will meet in a near future where there are talking housework robots and uh, stores are automated so you're buying from robots and the company has taken over everything you can always see this refinery in the distance with flickering towers of fire and belching out smoke um, you'll also explore like a natural environment and pick up little fragments of things like the the course of a river might have been changed because uh, the Norco Refinery Company has kind of used the water for their industrial activity and that has ended up flooding a town and everyone's moved away. So you get all of these mini stories. Um, and I think for people that like, like a slow um, kind of poetic game where you're really immersing in a world and enjoying beautiful pixel art, really soft electronic music, really really nicely written poetic text um, and a lot of content packed into it speculative sci-fi real world politics um, some some eco stuff and some really eccentric characters um, this this is a real keeper i think um how does that sound have I, have I sold you on it yeah absolutely i mean this definitely sounds like my jam um i i don't you know it, i love this kind of stuff um and thinking about what you said about comparing to the other games, like, um, boy, I really should have a second cup of coffee this morning. What were the two games you compared this to? Uh, it was Kentucky Route Zero, Disco Elysium. Disco Elysium. I love Disco Elysium, hated Kentucky Route Zero. Mm -hmm. So, like, I'm kind of wondering, am I going <laughs> to, where do I fall on that spectrum? And I don't know, I, I don't know that I could even tell you exactly why I loved one and not the other, right? It was just, like, certain hooks, certain tone, something about how it played. So, but what you're describing to me, sounds great i mean i it's not at all what i was expecting in fact i don't even know what i was expecting but um 
I, I'm down with like narrative. I'm down with like mystery. I'm down with like, I mean, is there some surreal elements to it? Do you think? Yeah, there really are. Um, it actually came as a big surprise to me um, that this game is set in a real world place. It, it, it seems like just a cyberpunk speculative sort of story. Um, there, there are times when you will be talking to someone, for example, in this game, you can record your personality onto a drive um, so that when you pass away, other people will have access to you and they can talk to you, but you can choose what parts of you you want it to record. Um, that's something that happens in the game. It comes into play. Um, there is um, a, a part of the game where you're wandering around what I guess is supposed to be like a, a parallel universe, New Orleans, um, and you're coming through an underpass where there's loads of homeless people living in tents, but there is also like a play taking place. So you can sit down and watch this play and you see it's a shadow play and you see a hand moving across the screen and start talking and it's a shadow play about a crocodile that terrorized the area and you can actually kind of choose lines of dialogue in the play as well. Um, and as the story progresses, it turns out that there's some really far out stuff going on like uh in terms of ai and nature connecting with technology and all of that kind of stuff like it's pretty pretty mind-blowing range of stuff that they've packed in here so yeah there's definitely some surrealism in here and definitely a lot of humor in here as well interesting interesting yeah i mean i definitely would love to give this a go and i mean i mean you're singing experiences here and basically um you know as i said earlier everybody i've talked to who has played this has really loved it so um I'm interested. I'm definitely interested. Uh, you know, hopefully it'll be in the right zone for me because uh, it can be hot and cold sometimes. But I'm I'm definitely want to give it a go. So Devolver, if you're listening, as I'm sure that you are, uh, hurry up and get this to uh, some other consoles. I, you know, I, I am prejudiced against PC for a number of reasons and I don't want to play it there. But uh, I do want to play this. So as soon as it comes to any other system, I'm in. Right. And I, I do think like thinking about what you said now about Kentucky Route Zero and Disco Elysium, you know, I think that the big thing that they have in common is that they are kind of literary games and they they lean on culture and politics a lot but i think the thing that maybe divides them is that kentucky route zero is mostly dreamy and melancholy in tone right and kind of slow and a little bit dark and dreary um and disco elysium has actually got kind of a, a punk spirit to it you know there's parts where you'll try and kick down a door and if you fail the roll you break your foot and fall over and die and things like that. <laughs> and like there are things where you have to just, you know, like you try and chew gum and have a heart attack. And you're like, this this game's kind of hilarious at the same time. Yes, as exactly, being, exactly. Um, very wordy and very kind of highfalutin in that way. And I, I think that Norco, perhaps, if I if I place it between those two, um, it falls more towards Disco Elysium. But it does have the same dreamy poetry that made me love Kentucky Route Zero. So I, I have hopes that I think that that you might be into this one when it when it comes to a system that you uh that you play on all right it is you have definitely you personally right now right here have bumped it up on my my watch list by several notches so <laughs> kudos to you you have won the day sir uh and devolver owes you a royalty check i'm sure <laughs> so thank you very much for bringing that game to the show that sounds interesting and thank you for being on the show because this is the show we are now at the end of the show thank you so much john i hope you have enjoyed your stay with us here yeah, it's an absolute pleasure. Really fun to come on. Excellent, excellent, excellent. All right, so this is the show, folks. Hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, as always, we want to get your questions and comments. Cinema Video Games Podcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Cinema Video Games. You can also reach us individually. John, 
where would you like people to go to find you? Well, people can find the show Gaming in the Wild. Um, it comes out every week. They can find it on anywhere you listen to podcasts, probably the place that you're listening to this one right now. Um, gaminginthewild.com has links to all of my social media and stuff. I'm usually to be found on Twitter on a daily basis talking about games. Maybe not this week because I'm by the beach and not so much playing games, having a little break here. But yeah, Gaming in the Wild pretty much anywhere. Uh, gaminginthewild.com for all the links. All right. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, sounds great. And everybody, uh, if you're listening to the show, pretty high chance you would like John's show as well. It's one of my favorites. I know Carlos really loves it as well. So if you've enjoyed our chat here, uh, I strongly recommend you go check out his show and uh, tell him that we sent you. Uh, as for me, uh, social media stuff is the same as it always is on Twitter, on Instagram. It's my name, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y, all A's, no O's. And that is going to do it for episode 290. Thank you all again for joining us here on the So Video Games podcast. And we will see you next week. And I believe Carlos will be back. I think those meds are kicking in and he's on the road to recovery. But in the meantime, this is bye from Brad. And bye from John. And uh, hopes and prayers for you, Carlos. Good luck with that.